Welcome to the Joe Cunningham Show here on KPL 96.5 here in Lafayette, the Acadiana area. Acadiana, good afternoon. Glad to be with you guys. Glad to be launching this show here on KPL. Uh, Brandon sitting across from me today. Brandon, thank you very much for all your help in making this show happen. Um, I'm excited for you, man. I'm glad you're able to do the show today. I'm I'm filling in for uh, Mark Pope, who will be your usual producer here on uh, the Joe Cunningham Show. But I'll just say as the uh, brand manager here at News Talk 96.5 KPL, we are very excited. You've always been a part of the family, but now you get a get to be a part of the daily lineup. Well, so we're really excited for it, man. I'm I'm very excited to be here. Very excited to uh, fight after school traffic to get here. Uh, <laughs> push it there for a little bit. I lost my keys when I was supposed to be leaving uh, school today, so mm-hmm. I had to go and find those because, as much as I hate talking about it, COVID is the news, and COVID is affecting everything. All of our schools are seeing staff uh, absences increase because of COVID. We're seeing a high number of kids who are being quarantined because of exposure or because they're catching the virus. Uh, it is becoming a major issue. Now, in some places, they are doing just kind of case-by-case closures of schools in case there's a staffing issue, but that's really it. But in other places, we've seen it in Chicago, we see other uh, major urban areas that are dominated by Democrats and the uh, teachers' unions. They're just wanting to shut whole systems down. The, the, the Chicago teachers are now on day four of their walkout, and those kids are out of school. And this is actually a, a pretty big issue. Because we talked about it before, the students are getting hurt by this. The data from COVID has shown time and again that school closures affect our kids negatively. They lose out on a lot of academic growth, but they also lose out on a lot of social and emotional growth. The data, I mean, it's now a quantifiable fact. School closures are doing a whole lot more harm than good to our students. We have test scores increased suicide rates, mental health decreases in our communities, more warning signals even from the New York Times to the Democrats. There was a story uh, out uh, uh, a couple days ago. As more teachers' unions push for remote schooling, parents worry, so do Democrats. The, the New York Times is warning Democrats, hey, your longtime allies in the, in the teachers' unions are actually hurting you. So political and, more importantly, actual social, emotional, and academic uh, negative impacts in our communities. And while all the mental, academic, and social health of all of our children, it's important, there's a demographic of students out there that is suffering. And I wanted to talk about this a bit because this is something that is, you know, as somebody who's worked in education, and I I feel, I've, I've witnessed this and I've seen this, and that is one of our most vulnerable groups of kids. And that is kids who have special needs, kids with exceptionalities, kids who need a little bit of extra help, and the school systems often provide that help. Students who will fall into the autism spectrum, students who need accommodations, uh, students who generally need extra support in the classroom, they get support that they can't get at home when they're having to work remotely and their parents have jobs that they have to do or they have somebody who comes in and just kind of watches them while they're at home doing this. If there's a babysitter situation or if they're just on their own. These kids don't get this kind of support that they need. And and, and I I have to give a shout out to uh, teachers, uh, special ed teachers, teachers who work very closely with kids who have these needs. And and they, they are trained to do so. They are trained to work in very difficult situations. And these kids have to persevere through so much. If you've never seen... 
that kind of breakthrough moment for a kid who's had some difficulty in the classroom. It's one of the most special moments that you can witness in education because despite what life has thrown at them, these kids are working to overcome those difficulties, overcome those challenges. But they do at times need a lot of that assistance. They need that support from their teachers. They need that support from the extra staff that's there to provide that and legally has to provide that. But when you call for these school closures and when you just do these, you know, generic district-wide or, or system-wide closures, you're impacting every kid negatively. But these kids take a very, very deep hit. It's not just coursework. All right, so they, they do need some help at times with their coursework, with tests, with accommodations to make sure the work gets done in a satisfactory way. But school is sometimes the only other place where some of these children learn social cues, basic human interaction, and healthy emotional development. And yes, these are things that are taught at home, but when a child is supposed to be spending a third of their day at school getting help with these things, and that's suddenly taken away, that sets them back. Kids who are already having to struggle and having to fight more are all of a sudden having even more adversity and more challenges being thrown at them. And oftentimes, it's just not fair. It's not fair to have to make these kids go through this simply because there are groups out there who are afraid of the virus, who are not looking at the data that's out there because the data has shown us since the beginning, kids are not vectors of spread. Now, Omicron's a little bit different. It's highly contagious, and that will likely change. Again, we are seeing more quarantines. We are seeing... Uh, we are seeing more positive cases, but schools are still not super spreader sites. A lot of the spread is still coming from behavior outside of school. But with Omicron, with all the variants, with COVID itself, teachers unions have given in a lot to the fear and a lot to just not wanting to face, they've given into this, this idea that they don't want to face, they want to shut down until everything's better. And it's not just going to be a shut down and everything gets better type of situation. This is an endemic virus. School systems that are staying open and, and are doing these rolling closures have it right. It's pretty much an inevitability at this point. Everybody is going to get it. And yes, there are staffing issues and that will cause us to need to, uh, that, that will force us to really need to, to, uh, to have these closures, let things kind of reset, let everybody get healthy, and then come back. But we can't do the system-wide thing and just shut down. That's a major, major issue. So we have to figure out the best way to hold on to these, to, to, to have these closures, to, to switch to virtual briefly, very temporarily. Because virtual learning, remote learning, is a great plan B. It is a great emergency plan. It should not be the plan. And for a lot of these teachers unions, a lot of these school districts, and, and a lot of these people in power who, who just want to shut everything down until it goes away, they're making virtual or remote learning the only plan. And that's hurt our kids, and it will continue to hurt our kids. So we really need to think about that going forward. We really need to figure out a better way to address this in some communities. Our community is doing just fine. Our community has it right. But other communities are giving into the fear and not looking at the data and, and figuring out the way to do this in a way that doesn't hurt our kids, especially those kids who 
have these special needs, who have these exceptionalities, that we have to to give the 110% to make sure that they can achieve and they have that equitable achievement. I know that that is a buzzword in education, not always for the right reason, but they get equitable chances at their education. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show on KPL 96.5. Glad to be here with you guys as we kick off this show. When we come back, a little bit more on COVID and an interesting story that you actually find at the Daily Advertiser. We'll talk about that and more when we come back. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on KPL 96.5. Some of you in your cars driving right now trying to figure out who I am. You may not have heard me on the air before. I filled in occasionally on Offsize for Brandon and Shannon. I've appeared a lot on uh, Acadiana's Morning News with Bernie and Ian. Um, if you've listened to Moon, I've filled in for his show a couple times. Uh, but I'm a senior editor at RedState.com. Uh, I am a teacher here in the Lafayette area. I've done uh, I've done a lot of coaching, a lot of teaching. I've uh, been a journalist in the area for a while. And I've been following the political scene, state and national, uh, for well over a decade. I was in radio in Natchitoches, Louisiana, where I'm from, and uh, moved down here to Lafayette. My my wife and, and, and my family and I uh, moved down here and really just have enjoyed making Lafayette and the Acadiana area our home. And now to be on the radio to talk to this community that I have, uh, that, that, that has welcomed me and that we've adopted as home, uh, to be able to talk to you guys every day is really just an honor. Again, thank you, Brandon, and thank you, KPL, for letting us, uh, for letting me come on the air and and just uh, have these conversations with y'all. This is going to be a very conversational show. The first half of the show will be focused on kind of the headlines and the different topics of the day, but the second half, I really want you guys to call in two three two fifteen forty two. Just call in, talk about the issues, whatever's going on in our community, whatever's going on in the news. We want to talk about, we want to address. Now, this is not going to be. Um, uh, a firebrand type show. This is not going to be a, a, a hardcore talking points type show. This is going to be news and analysis, and it is going to come from a, a center right perspective. But we're going to be digging a lot into the news. Now, my my focus is usually on the national stuff. So when it comes to what's going on in Congress, what's going on at the White House, what's going on in D.C. and across the country, I'm there. But there is some important stuff going on across the state, and one of the things that's actually going on. Here in the state, uh, we're seeing it all over, but there's a, a story in the advertiser. Um, my friend Lee Guidry at the advertiser uh, and a couple other uh, of the USA Today network writers in the state have been working on this story. And I wanted to mention it because it is an unintentional side effect of the COVID policies that we've enacted. So here's how the story starts. After learning her daughter, after learning her daughter Cricket had been exposed to COVID-19 at school, Sherry Lindsay Jones made sure to keep her home and her classmates safe. One day during the quarantine, Lindsay Jones heard someone at her front door. A truancy officer had paid them a visit. Deputy Leah o- uh, Leah Odom with the Washington Parish Sheriff's Office left a truancy notice telling the Monroe mom to contact the truancy office. Failure to do so could result in a summons to appear in court. Now, here's what happened. This mom kept her child home a day or two longer than she needed to, than was actual district policy. Because of the quarantining and because of COVID-19 and kids who have to stay at home, there are more reports of truancy. Now, here's 
if, if it's a bit technical here in the education system. I know it, it, uh, they use a similar system, and they talk about a similar system in this story that we actually use in Lafayette Parish. That's, that's WebPAMS, the JPAMS campus. Uh, it's it's a it's an information system, and through that, that's how schools keep attendance. And when somebody appears with an unexcused absence, after a certain number of times, it gets reported to the local truancy office, and then. Officers will go out, deputies will go out and just check to make sure. This, this is what's mentioned uh, in here. Uh, Sergeant Earl Henry with the Washaw Parish Tru- Truancy Division um, is quoted in here saying, a lot of them think we're out here to punish them. We're not. Our primary goal is to figure out what's causing the attendance issues. We just want to help the kid get back to school. Because we have COVID, because we have these, these uh, a large number of quarantines, we are going to be seeing these reports to the truancy office go up. That, that doesn't mean that a parent or a kid is in trouble for skipping school or anything. It's just that law enforcement, because of truancy laws, law enforcement is trying to make sure that kids are attending school like they should be. Again, going back to what I was saying in the first segment of the show, kids being in the classroom, being in schools, being in the classroom is the best case scenario for them. Keeping kids in schools is going to make sure they meet those academic, social, emotional, societal growth goals that kids need to meet. Remember, school, it's a third of the day. It's essentially a third of their life that they're spending, you know, up until they're seniors and they go to college. But it's a huge chunk of their life that they are learning not just the stuff they need to learn academically, but learning how to engage with society, how to be a part of society how to have normal human interactions, healthy human interactions. And when kids are missing out on this, it can lead to a lot of issues. Truancy can be linked to crime rates. Truancy can be linked to uh, negative behaviors, negative uh, impacts to, to the family, to society. So these are laws that are there to make sure that everyone in the situation is healthy and doing the right thing. The problem with COVID is that when we are kind of getting misinformation or, or, or we're getting conflicting information from our sources, the CDC, the media, all this, the, the, the media is having a full-blown like identity crisis right now because of this. But with so much information, all, a lot of it contradicting the rest of the information, parents sometimes don't know how long they're supposed to keep their kids out of school. They may get a note from school, but they hear this about the CDC and they hear this. And that. And it's, 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 it's confusing. So a parent might still be keeping their kids home for the full 10 days when the CDC has said, hey, no symptoms, five days. And with all this conflicting information, we're going to see more reports to the truancy offices. We're going to see these kind of issues kind of bubble up here or there. Now, there's a whole lot that's uh, nationwide with, with COVID and everything, a whole lot that we really need to look at. School closures, uh, we've, we've seen data, school closures are adversely impacting um, minority students, black students in particular. There was a, a story, the Detroit Free Press had a story, uh, more black children, more black students are out of school than white students. Uh, a lot of this is about, uh, it, it's, more, it's more class than race, but it's ju- it just happens to be in lower income areas where school choice is, is not something that is available and where private schools can kind of price out kids in these areas, uh, these kids 
are their their schools closed and they can't get to school. Now private schools they're still open, and so these the 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 kids whose parents can afford it, the kids who are in these private schools, they can still go to school. But in some places, if schools shut down, a lot of kids who really need to be in the classroom are not able to get into the classroom. And this is causing problems disproportionately. Uh, we're also seeing the, the media, like I said, is having this identity crisis. It's very, it, it's very weird. I don't know if you watched any of the media shows over the weekend, but CNN in particular had this segment uh Brian Stelter's show on CNN, which you, if you watch it, you're, like, you're one of maybe 500 people in America who watched it. Uh, but uh, him, uh, Reliable Sources, is, is his show. Uh, it's him. He's chief media correspondent for CNN. You also have Oliver Darcy. He's a media reporter at CNN. And Darcy uh, was on Reliable Sources in, you know, talking about uh, – Stelter had mentioned that the CDC is kind of becoming a joke. Like nobody's really taking the CDC seriously. And I thought, this is great coming from Brian Stelter. Um, who is, you know, taking as much of a joke as the CDC is. And you have Oliver Darcy who's on there saying that his biggest worry is that people aren't going to take the media seriously anymore because of it. I'm like, where have you been? Because nobody has taken the media very seriously on this. The media has been pushing. CNN's one of the worst offenders here. Um, they have another guy, Chris Saliza, who was one of the, the, the chief uh, offenders in stigmatizing people who got COVID-19 because the media was treating as, oh, well, if you're unvaccinated, you're getting COVID, you deserve it. And now we have Omicron, which is not really discriminating all that much uh, between vaccinated and unvaccinated. The only difference between the two is if you're unvaccinated, your case is likely to be more severe than if you're vaccinated. But Omicron's infecting everybody. And the North and the Democratic states are getting hit very hard. So now you see a lot of people in the media who are changing their tune, like, oh, oh, well, we don't really need to be paying attention to case numbers. Oh, infection is not something we should stigmatize. These very same people are saying this now who are stigmatizing Republicans in the in Republican states and southern states for getting it. I don't know if you guys remember, but but up until really Joe Biden became president, the, the media on the, on the daily reported in great big bold headlines the number of cases in various parts of the country, even when Biden was in charge. As, as the southern states were getting hit, the media was just one, just constantly harping on all the numbers, and then the numbers started to shift, and they started to negatively impact the Democrats and the Democratic states and the Biden administration. It's kind of like when the Bush administration was in charge, and they kept track of the daily Afghanistan death counts until Barack Obama got into power. Going to take a break there. Come back in just a moment here on the Joe Cunningham Show on KPL 96.5. All that and more in just a moment. You know, it is kind of depressing the, the way the NFL season ended for the Saints. However, I do have to say this. Sean, Sean Payton coached a team with a negative number of quarterbacks to playoff contention. <laughs> so there's still something to be said for all that. Now, yes, it is disappointing for the Saints, um, and, and I think we have the national championship tonight, so we've got George and Alabama to watch uh, in college football. Um, at this point, I've, I've never been a big NFL guy to start with. I follow the Saints, uh, but that's about it. I'm really, though, very excited to kind of see how this national championship game kind of plays out. All right, so who, who do you have tonight? Who do you want to win, and who do you think is going to win? Okay, so I... I, I my my head says Alabama, my heart says Georgia. Okay. 
I would love to see Georgia win it. Yeah. I would love to see them get retribution for the, the SEC title game. I would love to see Alabama, you know, lose because yeah. that's just how it is. Statistically, uh, looking at the last game, looking at the two seasons, looking at just the, the powerhouse that is Alabama, the dynasty that it is, basically. Um, Alabama, I think, just has the edge. Now, if, if Georgia's defense can play at the level everybody expected them to play in that SEC title game, I think they stand a chance. It might be a, a close game. I just don't know that they're going to be able to overcome all of the weapons that Alabama has right now. But I guess we'll see. I expect Georgia's defense to play much better than they did in that first matchup. Well, now, well, so it, there's there's two rules. One, you're, you're the rematch is always fun, mm-hmm. and two, it's very tough to beat a team twice. Absolutely. So that is uh, that is holding out hope for Georgia again. My head says Alabama. My heart yearns for Georgia <laughs> to win it. So national championship game tonight. I believe seven o'clock our time. Oh, I, don't uh, know. I think that's early. Uh, Those national championship games start so late, man. Yeah, and um, for a dad with babies, with infant, with an with a infant and a toddler. I don't know how much of that game I'm going to be able to watch tonight. Yeah, um, yeah, seven o'clock. Uh, seven o'clock tonight. Uh, the Georgia Bulldogs, the Alabama Crimson Tide. Uh, each team thirteen and one. So it will be a very fascinating game to watch. The number one team in Alabama, the number three team, the Georgia Bulldogs. You're right. I'm glad they moved it up. Those games used to start at like yeah, it was like at eight o'clock. Yeah, and, oh, could not make it. Yeah. Uh, this is Joe Cunningham. You're listening to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk KPL 96.5. Uh, I am. I, I'm. I'm very, very happy to uh, be launching the show. I can't can't say that enough. Um, if you want to follow me on social media, you can find uh, uh, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. Find, uh, find me on Facebook, uh, Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham. Uh, most of my social media, with the exception of the Facebook page, is going to be uh, at Joe P. Cunningham. So you can find me, Twitter, Instagram, uh, at those. Uh, you know, so Donald Trump and his group are, are launching uh, a social media site Jason Miller, who is a former Trump aide, launched Getter, G-E-T-T-R. Um, haven't joined those yet. I'm not the, – the whole big tech thing kind of just throws me off a bit because uh, big tech, you know, what we call big tech, the, the big social media companies, Facebook, Twitter, all that, they take a lot of heat and, and, and for you know, censorship, for you know, taking a harder line against conservatives than uh, – than, they do progressives. Interestingly, uh, the December stats for what was popular on Facebook are out, and it was largely dominated by uh, by conservative sites. Uh, ben Shapiro's Daily Wire is basically king of conservative media or conservative digital media. They routinely rank extremely high um, in Facebook traffic. Uh, yeah, in Facebook traffic, uh, Fox News does very well. Other sites kind of do okay, but the Daily Wire just just dominates it. At the same time, we do know that on Twitter, Twitter especially, their, their, their moderation teams go after, suspend, push back against uh, center-right tweets a lot more than they do center-left tweets. And so a lot of conservatives, and, and you know, led by a lot of the calls from Donald Trump, a lot of conservatives are pushing and saying we need to get rid of you know, these, protect, these platform protections and things like that. I'm always and, and so they, you know, they've jumped off and they they made uh, Gab, which turned into a, a very far right, uh, 
like super far right to the point of uh, being openly racist and things like that. Uh, they tried Parlor, which struggled there for a while. I think it's back, but it's nowhere near what it was before it was shut down. Um, you've got, again, Getter. You've got uh, was it Truth Seeker or something like that, uh, that the Donald Trump team is working on as their social media platform. But all of these center-right alternatives, and I think that's the way to go, is just create these more, you know, all these other alternatives. You have, um, you have the website Rumble, which is like YouTube, but it was started by people who don't believe in the censorship that that Google and YouTube put in. You know, YouTube is owned by Google. The Google Google itself is a very progressive company. Uh, so Rumble is there as an alternative. Locals is there as a content creation platform that was started by conservatives who wanted to see. Uh, more content from the right come out and not be censored. And, I, you know, uh, uh, Dan Bongino is an investor in, uh, I think, both of them. I, he was an investor in Rumble, and I think Rumble and Locals are now partnered up. So uh, Bongino is getting involved in this. The going after and trying to remove the Section 230 protections and everything for Twitter and Facebook that a lot of conservatives push for, I think, is... I, I didn't mean to go off on this tangent. I have a notebook filled with things I want to talk about, and this one not. I just mentioning social media kind of made me think of it. The problem with removing these Section 230 protections, which in a nutshell, Section 230 means that if somebody says something on your platform, the platform itself is not held responsible for it. There's, there's publisher protections, and those protections are being given to the social media companies. Well, as these tech companies go to moderating content they are uh, they're they're accepting um they're ex they're they're accepting the responsibility by moderating it and so you need you pull away those those protections and that's causing a bit of an issue the problem that i have is that while conservatives want these protections pulled away from the social media companies at the same time so do the progressives in congress and if the progressives are looking to crack down on Facebook and Twitter. If you think it's bad on those websites now, just wait until the progressive lawmakers take away those prote protections. And then how really screwed will Republicans and conservatives be on those platforms? That's the big worry. Then that's, that's why I'm, I'm always hesitant on, on reigning big tech in, in the way that a lot of politicians and a lot of conservative, conservative activists have been talking about it. So just wanted to throw that out there. But again, until we crack down on those platforms and until we're all kicked off, you can follow me, facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, uh, Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham. Also on Instagram, if you want to see um, non-political stuff on Instagram, I post a lot of the stuff I cook. We will be talking a lot about cooking in the future. I can guarantee that. Going to take a quick break. We'll be back for the final segment of the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. Uh, I... Uh, so I'm 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 sitting here and we're we're building this from the ground up. Like we're we're getting everything running. One thing that I absolutely am terrible at, and it's something I, I hate doing, is the self promotion type stuff. Like saying, "Hey, follow me on Twitter or Facebook or whatever." It's it's just I I, I do not like doing that, but I'm I'm having to. And, and there have been a few of y'all who have started uh, following me on these platforms. So thank y'all very much. Obviously you're either here to yell at me or you're enjoying what you're here, what you're listening to so far. Uh, I do have to say though, before we go, uh, because again, we're going to be talking a lot about the national stuff as well as some of the local stuff. Did y'all know that it's been 68 days since president Joe Biden held a press conference? 
68 days since he held a formal press conference. When Trump was in office, he held press conference, especially during COVID. He, he, he joined those COVID press conferences all the time. It got to the point where, the, where his numbers actually went up because he was out there, he was visible. And so the media started trashing him and started saying, well, we're not, this is misinformation. We're not going to, to, to air this anymore. And then he stopped doing them because his num- his, the numbers stagnated and started falling because he, he got a little too much exposure. So then the media started trashing him for not do it, holding these press conferences and, and being transparent and giving us all this information. It's just, you know, just classic double-sidedness, double-speak. Joe Biden, according to the Associated Press, according to, so the Associated Press is pointing this out. They've got a graphic out and everything. At December 31st of his first year, Donald Trump had held 22 formal press conferences, 92 press interviews, and 120 informal Q&As with reporters. So just anytime there's there's something and he makes a statement, some folks, you know, you saw the clips all the time. Like he's heading to Air Force One and a journalist yells something at him and he responds, like that sort of thing. Joe Biden has held nine press conferences in his first year, 22 press interviews. So again, Trump had 22 press conferences and 92 press interviews. Joe Biden's had nine press conferences and 22 press interviews. And Trump has had 120 informal Q&As versus the 216 that Biden's had. The planned press events, Biden's team's not letting him do those anymore. He's, he's not being trusted to hold these press events anymore. He's not having—his his press appearances, whenever he does have these formal events, they're not good. He's misstepping— He's saying the wrong thing. He's giving contradictory information. He's giving flat-out wrong information. His team is very wary about putting him in front of a camera for a scheduled formal press event. They can't always stop him if he if somebody shouts a question, he answers it on his way somewhere. But they're not doing these planned events. Back when he was still a candidate running for office, Joe Biden promised to shut the virus down. And it's turning out to be his read my lips, no new taxes moment. Because the virus is not getting shut down. It's spreading more. And while it's not as serious, and we can be thankful that the Omicron variant is not as serious, and it's probably not going to lead to the same number of deaths and serious illnesses that dealt in the other variants in the original covid you know, caused, it's still causing things like school systems being shut down. People are panicking. There's shortages. There's a cream cheese shortage. I think actually, no, wait, that was because of hackers. But there is a cream cheese shortage. There is a shortage of something like random items that you might not expect. Um, uh, I think there was a worker strike at Frito-Lay, and so there's a Frito shortage. You can't find Frito scoops anywhere, which is making me very angry. But Joe Biden promised to shut the virus down. And with the shutting the virus down comes the promise that all these other things are going to be shut down as well because these all kind of spin off from the COVID issue. But it is his read my lips moment. Read my lips. No more COVID. It's not happening. He's not comfortable in front of a mic anymore. His team is not comfortable. They don't trust him in front of a mic anymore because of what he might say. And the Associated Press and others are pointing this out. 
Biden's not doing very well in his public appearances. And the Biden team has to figure out how to mitigate some of this damage because we are in a midterm year now. We are officially in the midterm cycle for 2022. 26 House Republicans are not running for re-election. 26. Maps are getting redrawn. Now, it's not going to be Republicans are just redrawing every map and we'll have a huge advantage. It's going to probably be a wash when it comes down to it. But Republicans, because of voter sentiment, have a very strong advantage in 2022. Historically, they'd already have the advantage. The party in power tends to lose during midterm cycles, during off-year elections. But right now, Joe Biden's numbers are in record lows. They're not looking to be getting any better. The economy is still stagnant. Things like gas prices are going down a little bit, and, and some of the supply chain issues are starting to resolve ever so slightly, but they're still there, and they're still perceptible by voters. Because as much as the media wanted you last week to focus on the one-year anniversary of January 6th, the fact of the matter is virtually every American right now is worried about their job, their paycheck, what they're paying at the grocery store, what they're paying at the pump, and what's available. It is a very, very tricky situation for Democrats. This is Joe Cunningham on The Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Thank you guys very much for joining me on day one. With plenty more days coming, we'll be back in 23 hours.